As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Panic. Uh-huh. uh-huh. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention deans anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with the tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Reporter here as always. We got Anthony Slater, West Coast, Fred Katz, East Coast. We are diving right in today. This is going to be the first of probably a couple NBA trade deadline season pods making the rounds around the the league. Gentlemen, we're recording a day early today. Uh, You were nice enough to change your schedules um, because I got a little conflict on my end. But uh, let's let's get after it. What's going on, boys? Just got done reading Sam Amick's latest intel is, is uh, where I'm at. How about you, Fred? I I I, I am in the middle of reading it because I prepare. Oh. <laughs> I love how one of you went with your your boxing promoter voice, and the other went with the audiobook reader voice. That was good. It's, you know, it's <laughs> we're tired. It's daylight savings, <laughs> or is it daylight savings, or is it is it daylight eliminatings? Daylight yeah. stealings, yeah, exactly. I think, is what. Although you know what, call it. yeah, we're the long term. This is good. I'll 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 lose the hour for one day, so I can I can gain seven p.m. sunsets. Well, fair enough, and uh, the the timing is good on my end. I, I did spend a lot of yesterday trying to look at, at trade stuff. I have written a few things. Uh, we were talking off air, uh, and I'm going to steal kind of the off air conversation and, and make it a starting point for the pod here uh, about the one and only Draymond Green. And this is not going to be a, a ton of Warriors talk, I don't think, Slater, on this on this trade I pod. I think we'll, but pep- we'll see. probably we'll- pepper them in. I have a- right, but my thought on Draymond is this. Um, I was talking to a couple people yesterday about a bunch of players that might be on the move. Now, one that's certainly... Widely known and high profile 
is the one and only P.J. Tucker of the Houston Rockets. And the the conversation that we were having about P.J., now full disclosure, in terms of covering guys in this league, P.J. is one of my favorites. Um, He's Draymond-esque from the standpoint that he can be very candid. He's not as theatric as Draymond is from time to time, and we saw that these last couple of days. But with P.J., here's the harsh reality of his situation. Um, You know, if anybody somehow missed it, he's basically sidelined at this point and waiting to be dealt. Uh, He was going to play in Sacramento the other night, actually even warmed up before the game, was shooting free throws and and doing the whole thing. And next thing you know, he's out. Uh, That was a little mysterious, but but now, you know, he's he's waiting to get moved. P.J. Tucker, other than James Harden and then whichever co-star was next to him during that Rockets run, was the most important member of that Rockets team that so boldly went after the Warriors and tried to take them out during the dynasty run. And, and and his contract situation is something that every so often I would connect with him about and try to take a pulse because you knew and heard behind the scenes that he wasn't thrilled, that he had this deal coming up that was about you know one of the most team-friendly contracts in the NBA, topping out at around $7.9 million, and he wanted an extension. And he was hoping, he was hoping, he was hoping that, it, you know, and that day never came. And then Daryl Morey heads for Philly. Then the Rockets trade James Harden. And, and here's PJ. Now listen, uh, as Draymond learned the hard way the other day, you got to always couch things and not pretend that, that these are real people problems. But, you know, PJ Tucker doing what he's done on an NBA floor and having this contract potentially be the peak of his earnings is, is far below, you know, kind of the economics of the league, if that makes sense. And now uh, he's in in waiting mode and, and it never happens. The Draymond comparison, guys, is this. Draymond was that and maybe even a little bit more for the Warriors, but the Warriors won the chip multiple times. And then, the, you know, that's the difference. That's how, you know, he gets paid on the back end of what he did for his squad in a way that PJ didn't, uh, won't, and and has a very different career arc. But uh, thoughts on the on the Tucker front? Yeah, uh, I can understand PJ Tucker trying to rush get a contract extension. You know, whatever a year or two ago, particularly when he was playing with Harden, right? Because he was maximized by Harden. You know, just sit right. in the corner, make threes, be part of a playoff defense, small ball, which they always prioritize. And I say in a Harden ecosystem, in a D'Antoni ecosystem too, right? He was perfect for that. And he probably right. knew by the time his contract was ending, those two might be gone. And then as you've seen this year, not only obviously does he not fit on a lottery team, he doesn't really fit not in the Harden D'Antoni ecosystem. Like he's not having a very good season. Um, not at all. And he's going to be 36 come May. And, you know, as we talk about Draymond and PJ Tucker, the difference, Draymond just turned 31. PJ Tucker is 36, hasn't had yep. a payday, as you mentioned. So that's why I think he was urgent to get one. Now it's probably passing by, whereas, like, let's say he hits the market if he either gets bought up by Houston or, you know, I assume he'll probably get traded somewhere, play out the contract, and then hits free agency. I don't think he's getting a payday. He's He seems more vet minimum mid-level E now to me. Um, but... I he, I said it at the time. I can't believe Brooklyn didn't add him in the Harden move deal. Right. Um, but and that is a subplot. I mean, everywhere you go, and I'm always hesitant to, you know, to, to directly apply like, all right, this player was telling that player such and such. And, and we kind of saw that last week with Kyle Lowry. He pushed back against the media narratives that he was telling people he was going to Philly. But 
there, there's a lot of noise that, that, that James Harden had been telling P.J. Tucker he was coming with him. And then on the back end of that, that P.J. was pretty surprised that he was still in Houston and, and James was on his way to Brooklyn. Uh, I don't think Brooklyn is still in the picture. They did the Blake Griffin thing. You know, they're not, they don't have minutes at the moment. Um, you know, and I, I might write a bit on this uh, earlier in the week, but I mean, you know, most of the league is calling about P.J., uh, contenders are calling the price tag seems pretty high uh, that you're talking about, you know, like a first and a, and a young player, which I definitely don't see happening. Um, so that's something the Rockets have been doing a lot lately, I think, is is shooting for the moon and then learning the hard way eventually that the price tag. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be really hard to get even like if if the Rockets want, you know, three second round picks for him. It, it's a lot to get that many picks off of somebody's hands. Uh and honestly, this situation doesn't exactly put them in a in a place where they can they have a ton of leverage going into negotiations either. Yeah. Where now he's sitting, they're admitting, okay, we're trading him. They can't even hide behind a facade of now we're going to keep him and make it work potentially. Like you know, like they did with Harden, for example, when everybody knew at some point Harden was going to be on the move. But it, at at some point, they say, you know what, it, we think this could potentially work out. We're going to try to hold on to him if we don't get an offer that we you know if we don't get an offer that we like. And with Tucker, you know that's not the case. Uh, like Slater said, he's 36. He's 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 not shooting nearly as well this year. I I never know how to evaluate guys who who fall off in these sorts of circumstances because it does feel like PJ Tucker could go to a really good team and we could be like, oh, look, PJ Tucker's playing really well again. Like that wouldn't he get some sort of bump? Like that wouldn't surprise me at all. But. It is really it is a lot easier for another team to negotiate with Houston when he is playing like this and they can say, well, we don't know for sure. And so I I don't know. Like, I I think back to like the Justin Holiday trade from a couple of years ago when he went for a couple of second rounders and like that, that sort of trade. Courtney Lee goes for a couple second rounders like those sorts of trades kind of feel like comparisons in a P.J. Tucker one for me. But, you know, it kind of depends on what specific stuff Houston wants back too. I think Houston's probably informed by them. What do they get for Covington this uh, offseason? Like two firsts, right? Yeah. From Portland. I mean, that's their. And at the time, I mean, Tucker was just as valued, if not more valued, than Covington as like a, you know, a playoff piece on a winner. Now, situations have changed. I think you would have gotten more in any offseason than you're going to get at the deadline. Maybe. We'll see. Um, obviously, how Tucker's playing. I like him in, you know, Fred, you mentioned. He could show up on a good team and, and suddenly, oh, look, he's helpful. I think it has to be a very good team with very good offensive players. It just has to be. Yeah. That's the only way yeah. he's going to matter. And I like Phoenix as a fit for him. He actually yeah. used to play in Phoenix. Um, yeah. And I don't know, Sam, Sam, I mean, do you have – what is your Tucker feel? You said you know most of the league's calling about him. Where do you see like his likely landing spots? I the Phoenix one I like I hadn't shoot on that one all that much and and I am a sucker for narratives he he started kind of his NBA if I'm remembering correctly it was it was you know Phoenix Toronto and next thing you know you know he was this guy that that earned respect on the defensive end and then eventually developed that corner three um, still very tight with Chris Paul I think that matters because Chris and his influence who knows if he can convince James Jones uh, you know in that front office in Phoenix to to go do what they need to do to uh, to get PJ the Lakers had been one that you know I do believe is real and and you know likely would involve uh, Wes Matthews uh, inclusion um you know but contenders I'm trying to think I mean I don't see the Clippers doing it um you know I don't know where he lands I also think I don't think Denver's going to do it 
although I think he would honestly help them. Um, but you have this other thing, the optics of the situation. Uh, I don't know how he does this, but I think he's got to, you know, get the word out that, that the Houston frustrations are unique to the Houston dynamic. And, and uh, you know, I've talked to some teams that are kind of feeling like, you know, is he going to be in the right mindset when he comes our way? So some of that negativity about, you know, that was rooted in his frustration, you know, I think could be in a, in a nuanced kind of way hurting, you know, what's happening with him right now. But the Phoenix thing does make a lot of sense. Um, they've got the offensive firepower to not rely on him all that much. Nobody knows how to find him in his spots more than Chris. And, uh, you know, the, the, um, the player connection from James Jones to, to PJ, I think, is, is something where I could say James uh, trying to do something like that. I like Sam, that you think Miami could get in on this? They, they feel like they're kind of missing a guy like that. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of fabric and mentality, I mean, for sure, PJ could, you know, be side by side with with Jimmy in that group. Um, they, you know, they do have the pieces. That to me also reeks of one where Houston would would come in shooting even higher than they should. You know, they were before. They're going to be asking for Tyler Hero, and then Pat Riley's going to fall out of his Tyler chair. Tyler Hero for so, PJ Tucker. That would yeah. be a horrendous yeah. move for Miami. <laughs> Miami's interesting though. Like, don't you feel like they're swinging a bit bigger? You know, maybe it's Oladipo. I, you know, I think Aldridge is. A, I'm not sure that is a better player, although it just seems like a splashier name. Lowry, you know, I, I don't know what. Yeah, at the risk of like this is not what you're supposed to do to promote a pod on on trade deadline talk. A lot of these guys are just. The, you mentioned Oladipo, and I, I've kind of come to the realization the other day that you know I am. I continue to think about Victor of you know pre injury and, and a few years ago. Right now, Victor's not all that impactful of a he's player. He's shooting so like you 38% talk, overall. Yeah. yeah, he's not playing well. You know, this market, you know, post-James Harden trade, um, there are some names. Now, Now Lowry is the one, you know, if you want to go down that road at all, you talk about game changers. Kyle Lowry could come get somebody over the top. The problem is, at $30 million on an expiring deal, you, you end up gutting part of your roster. You're going to lose a role player or two in order to get him. And that's where I feel like, you know, he might end up staying in Toronto. But the Oladipo one, on paper, if you're just looking at his career impact, you're thinking, okay, that's going to inject some offense into a contender. Uh, but he's not playing well, and people don't know what to think of him. Yeah, the, the Warriors have been thrown out. Uh, Kevin O'Connor reported um, that there's they've sniffed around. And I did, yes, the Warriors have sniffed around like any front office right now on several names. Um, And the reason why I think you see the Oladipo name somewhat tied to the Warriors is because like the Warriors are a, um, you know, any move they make will matter for next season. And now I'm not sure. They could be patient. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure Oladipo is the move to try to put, like you said, he's not playing that well, the move to try to put a title contender over the top. But it would be the move if you think he, you're getting him for his bird rights, right? You're getting him to re-sign him. But you know that's a that's a risky move too because he just turned down what two for forty five ex- extension in Houston. Yep. And so he's clearly going to be going into free agency thinking I want twenty million plus, and he's not playing like a guy that you're going to want to. Well, give I mean, him. listen, the Rockets just you know I think they're what at fourteen in a row right now losses. Um, that's not a place that that clearly he wants to to stick around in. So that I'm sure played a part. He's there. There is again, regardless of how he's playing. 
you know, there's noise about Miami with him. There's noise about New York. There's there's a, more than enough noise for Houston to feel pretty confident that he's not coming back. And so, you know, they do need to, I think, try to get something right now. They're acting like they're fine letting him walk. And, and that doesn't, this is a, you know, a subplot of the whole thing. Uh, I don't, I, I, I look back and try to relitigate the Harden trade a little bit. And the whole, you know, Oladipo, Levert, component is is so interesting. Karis LeVert just, you know, gets back on the floor yesterday with Indiana, um, you know, had a couple years left on his deal. It seems pretty clear at this point that that at base uh, level that Houston was trying to clear the decks in the Harden trade. And the Oladipo, all the nice things they said about him, wanting to be part of the program, you know, it seemed to be kind of falling flat right now. Did you guys see his press conference where he... Who's LeVert? Oladipo's? Where he where no. he said they asked him about the extension. It's on like just like a Zoom post game. Oh yes, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, where I'm he sorry. was the, yeah. he was essentially like, oh, they they never like uh, they just said they offered it, but didn't but said I they knew I wasn't going to take it, so it was never well, really he, offered. I think he said it was a while ago, so the timeline got questioned a little bit. My understanding is that it was the I mean it's the kind of thing that in terms of the numbers it didn't make a lot of sense if he still thinks he can get paid it didn't make sense for him to take that deal and it was like it's like a tone setter in terms of the organization saying we want you here and then we'll revisit this in the offseason sorry Slater real quick but the question is did they mean it you know what I mean or is it their way of saying oh well we tried and yeah the outside looking in it seems to me and and this goes along with the Levert's you know Levert for Oladipo Oladipo's expiring it seems to me that they want to publicly present like we really you know want to keep him but he said no to this extension so when they really don't they're just trying to shed shed money I mean this is a Tillman staple right here (laughs) I mean not well, even I mean, I hear you on that. I don't even know if it's fair to go to go there. I think it's it's a reset. Here's another interesting comp. I've spent like always a lot of time with with the Kings being in my backyard. I've written a bit about them recently. The interesting comp is you got a first year GM and Rafael Stone replacing Daryl Morey in Houston out in Sacramento. First year GM Monty McNair, who used to work with those guys in Houston. They, they all of a sudden, and this is kind of mind blowing considering where the Rockets were not too long ago. All of a sudden those two rosters are not all that different. They have a couple pieces that they feel good about for the long term, and then they are trying to reset almost everywhere else, potentially, depending on what's on the table. You know, So we feel good about Christian Wood and, and, and some of the young guys, but Oladipo at this stage of his career, I, th- I think you're right, Slater. I think they are you know, kind of tacitly trying to move so, on. There's this weird, uh, this weird paradox with Oladipo, where I've spoken to some people around the league about this, where... Some people are, or, or a lot of teams are very hesitant to trade for him for exactly the reason that Slater talked about, where they kind of worry, all right, he turned down that extension. He's going to get whatever, whatever you want to define paid as, he's going to get paid. He's going to get some amount of money that is a very nice average annual value. And they're worried, okay, if we trade for him, it is a rental and it might not even work and that's it. And then he's going to walk because we don't want to pay him. If, if the vast majority of the league, doesn't really want to pay him. Is is he going to get paid? Are we overstating that? Like if Oladipo continues to play like this, is is he guaranteed 20 plus mil a year? I don't know. That's a Leon Rose question potentially with the CAA connection that people cite a lot. Um, the mar- the market between. is player friendly. There's a lot of cap space. The up. market is player friendly for sure. There are like 20 teams of cap space and there are very, very few like really good unrestricted free agents. I mean, DeMar is a free agent. Lowry's a free agent. And 
then you go through and it's like a lot of the best guys are restricted. Um, and, and so I get that. So he, he probably will, but is he's only 28 and he has a couple all-star games. Like I could see a team convincing themselves. Now, again, as from a warrior's perspective, when I saw him link to them, I'm like, I'm not sure they should, you know, like to me, I don't necessarily think that might be a good deal for a team, but I certainly could see him believing and maybe him even getting signals that there are teams out there that are like, you know, hey, you know, a lot of teams at the end of the day, particularly this summer, might just end up with cap space and be like, well, let's take a shot on Oladipo. You know, I mean. Slater, don't you think the Warriors thing, if, if I'm putting myself in their shoes, their hope, and who knows, maybe they'd be right, is that because of what they've accomplished in the last stretch and who they are as an organization now, you're trying to convince him to come in at a lower number and, and essentially provide the type of context around him that could allow him to to get back to where he wants to go as a player, but not have that spotlight burning, you know, a hole in your head, if that makes sense. Because, you know, you can come back with Steph around you, with Clay around you, and be part of a, a winning program. Um, but on your side, what you got to do is, is give us a, a somewhat team-friendly contract if you want to be part of this. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure those conversations would be had before any trigger is pulled. But, I mean, my argument would be, I think Kelly Oubre is having a better season than Victor Oladipo. I understand that the Warriors do need secondary playmaking, a bit more scoring punch, and they're trying to find that right now. But yeah, he hasn't been that good. And like they would have, to, you know, that's the Oubre salary slot. I assume any Oladipo trade would be the Oubre's fourteen million. You know, you add a few salaries to get there, maybe a pick, whatever. Um, and I just, I, I, they, I think they should probably. Pay Kelly Oubre more. Kelly Oubre, I think 25, 26, doesn't have any serious injuries in his past, is getting comfortable in the system, can be a six man. I understand he doesn't play make like Oladipo, but he, he just he does more particularly defensively. So, And that's, that's an equation I think a lot of teams would have to go through. Like, does Oladipo fit the long-term plan? Let's go down that road a little bit because someone brought Kelly up to me the other day, uh, another team indicating again the preface with all this is going to be it's chatter it's hard to always know what's real and what's not but but it was kind of intimated to me that you know there's some teams that that do think you know kelly's somebody you can discuss what's the latest on that front in terms of his kind of pulse with the warriors and and i always wondered and again because of COVID, i haven't been around them this year to get my own sense of things but like because of that massive payday that has been talked about so much with Kelly and what he actually costs with the luxury tax. Like, you know, is that the kind of thing that subconsciously has Joe Lacob eventually wanting to part ways with him? Or do you think that he, he still could be part of the program? So they, it's just this like salary slot that they created that they're trying to extend the life of or deciding if they want to extend the life of, right? It was, it was Andre Iguodala. Kelly Oubre is basically Andre Iguodala where they traded away Iguodala and got a trade exception that was going to expire. That, that $17.2 million trade exception that we talked about all all of that nine month off season, and right before it expired, they did the trade for Ubre, and now it's he's sitting at fourteen million, and they can re-sign him, but he's unrestricted free agent. If he walks, that that disappears, and they're so you know cap strapped. They they have four other maxes out there, like they can't obviously shift that money elsewhere. So they needed to decide before the deadline three things. Well, I guess two things before the deadline. It, does he fit long term with them, and do they believe he wants to stay? And if not. You know, that's why you heard a little rumbling with Lonzo Ball early in the season because they need to figure out what they want to do with that salary slot. Lonzo Ball is a restricted free agent. If they if that had been, 
you know, consummated, then suddenly you would have more control over Alonzo Ball. And at the time, Kelly Oubre was in a massive slump. Remember, we would come on podcast talk about how poor he'd been in January. He was one of he was maybe their second, third best player in uh, February. So he's been really good. I think they're starting to think he could be a long term fit. But the problem is what you mentioned. Then come the offseason. Are they willing to continue to keep paying that 14 ish million dollar salary slot, whatever it is, Oubre might even get more which really means 80 million in tax, 90 extra million in tax. This that's on Joe Lacob to decide. Like, is he okay every single year paying just, you know, <laughs> historic tax bills. Uh, so, so Slater, you, you talk so about like money. using, yeah, like kind of spinning the asset tree, right? Turning Iguodala into the trade exception, turning the trade exception into Ubre, allowing yourself to turn Ubre into something else. What what does that asset tree look like? What would they preferably in an ideal world want to turn him into? Is it is it something more long term? Is it something that's going to help them right now? What is the type of thing that they would want back? I think more and more over the last month, they've thought, what if it's just Kelly Oubre? You know what I mean? Like they can, you know, he's what do you think he'll get this summer? 16, 17, you know, he's on 14. He's he's had a good season now to this point. Um if they're willing to pay that, I think that's a fine six man. Not only a six man, Clay Thompson's probably not going to be ready for the season opener. Maybe he is, but it's only going to be like 11 months post Achilles. Um, so the thought is like Clay Thompson might not play in the next, you know, into let's say a month next season, whatever. And then even once he does return, they're going to ease him back. They're going to give him time off. Like they're going to need that player from that salary slot. Now, is that Kelly Oubre? Oladipo's a guy. I mean, that's something they're bandying about the next couple of weeks. Do they make a move to try to find whoever that is? Lonzo Ball was a guy who, you know, it's it's an off guard. It's a guy who could play, you know, with a Clay and Steph, but also can be their sixth man. Um, and he was restricted, so there was just more certainty that you could keep that that salary slot. So that's it's. I mean, to answer your question, Fred, if as long as Joe Lake is willing to just play crazy tax numbers. It's it's a player, and it's a player that matters. It's really a wing type who's fifth, sixth, seventh type man. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Lonzo uh, is another guy that is probably worth talking about, guys. Um, so he's got he's eleven million this year, fourteen million dollar qualifying offer. Uh, the number it's funny you see some of this even with Marvin Bagley. You know, just high draft picks in general. You got these teams that end up being reticent to to make these kinds of moves because you know it's not a team friendly rookie contract. And Lonzo, I think we can agree, like he's had good moments, but he has not as yet turned into the player that people thought he would be. Um, a little bit like Kelly Oubre had a very good February, a real uptick in his play. It sounds like from what I'm hearing that, you know, his market is not all that robust. And, and, and if I had to guess, I don't think he goes anywhere, but the Pelicans in general from Lonzo to JJ Redick, another guy that we should 
talk about in terms of possible fits on a contender uh, to Eric Bledsoe, who I don't think has much of a market right now. Uh, they're in a, in a tough spot. And I think last I looked, you know, I mean, they've been playing terribly. Uh, and, and Lonzo is a guy that, that is always going to be in the headlines. But as far as who he is now as an NBA player and what his market is and, and what might be happening, uh, how do you guys see that? You know, I think Lonzo has been great for them, especially the last month and a half. I mean, but it, how much does that matter, Fred? Like, not to cut you off, but like big picture. And I, I looked at it last night. Yeah, he he has been really good for them. But you already paid Brandon Ingram. You're going to pay Zion, and and so the question is, a guy like Lonzo, if he actually turns into who you know he wants to be, and people thought he could be, I mean, is that you're going to have a, a three max team with those no, three guys? No, I mean, I when I is when he I get say maxed? no, no, I'm saying like no, he's not getting maxed. But I mean. <laughs> Three massive contracts. I mean, B.I. And, and, and Zion are going to be maxed. And then, you know, when you're qualifying as 14, the, the potential to have that number get bigger very quickly or, you know, is, is Yeah, is I mean, there. this is this is kind of the one of the first rounds of effects of of guys with the more expensive rookie contracts and, and how that's being handled. Like you saw, you start to see fewer and fewer uh, fourth year options picked up. The Josh Jackson option that wasn't right. picked up was so expensive compared to what we're used to with rookie contracts. And yeah, that's, that's what you get with the qualifying offer with Lonzo too. I, I think he's been good. If I, if I were a team that was still kind of building its young core, I agree with you on the Mac on the, on having three max guys. I don't think he's going to get a max, but if you want to pay three guys, those three guys probably aren't taking you to the promised land. If you can get something back, right. That's a yeah, better way of putting yeah. it. I mean, they're they're all good players. But if I'm a team that doesn't necessarily have my two max guys already that I'm going to have, I mean, he's shown he can be a really, really helpful role guy. And he can shoot the hell out of the ball now. I mean, he's shooting with incredible volume on really good percentages. He defends well. He's got size. Uh, he can play on the ball, off the ball at this point. Uh, he's he's a a very good player. He's not the number three overall pick in the draft, but but he's a or number two overall pick in the draft. But he's a really good player. <laughs> You're right. He's not yeah. the number three. He's not the number three pick. <laughs> I can definitively say he's not. But he's a he's the a really human good component fascinates me. Yeah, I'm with you. Know, there that's should the thing. be a market, and, and I, that's my Lonzo take. There should yes, there should be a market. It's also he's I think he's to an extent kind of you know paying a price for his own name. You know you you do hear some of that. As far as the human component, even in front offices, that the teams, you know, they they look longer and harder at it because of everything that comes with Lonzo. And you know, if you want to blame Levar, if you want to, you know, put that. I'm not on him, sure stuff know, does thing, anymore, though. And I mean, you're seeing that with Lamelo. Like, when's the last time I heard, you guys heard a Levar quote? I, I yeah, but <laughs> fair, but. He Lavar never did the Lavar things with Lamelo at the NBA level like he did with Lonzo. It feels over, and it's though. not to it's, say that feels like such a Laker thing. I don't know. In my opinion. I'm with you. I don't don't kill the messenger. I just talked to <laughs> yeah. a, a GM yesterday that that was just kind of I'm was shrugging this at GM the idea to you right now. So I'm <laughs> hey, what do you guys think about Lonzo in Charlotte? That would be very fun. That would be That'd be great. They, they fit together as a backcourt too. You know what I mean? Like that was not like they don't overlap too much. They'd be fun. No, I mean they got a lot of money in Rozier already. Um, True. Yeah. I, yeah. I heard the other, like Devonte Graham's a guy that again not all that efficient in a, or not sorry not that efficient. But if you want a little punch, he's he's a guy that could probably if, be. If had. Charlotte wanted to brand itself as a fun franchise that has not been fun for a long time, pairing the Ball brothers in the backcourt would that would 
the just do ball in the family in Charlotte yes. all the time. That'd be fun. <laughs> um, Charlotte's a team I mentioned down here. I mean, like they're they're Charlotte is very fun. Not only are they fun, but they're ending your era now where it's becoming pretty obvious, like build around Lamalo, right? He needs a center. He needs a pick and roll partner. Like, I'm not sure this is the trade deadline where they're a big player, but like coming up, they're going to be interesting the way they reform, right? I mean, Charlotte is very fun. And our wonderful producer, Andrew Schlecht, made this point, and he's not here right now. So I'll make it on his behalf that I don't know if there is a better play by play announcer, star player combination in the league than Eric Collins and LaMelo Ball with the way that he loses his mind on anything LaMelo does. It is, it is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, he might be more enthusiastic about the balls than LaVar. It's, it's unbelievable watching him call every single LaMelo highlight. It is truly incredible television. Paired with Del Curry, who who has a good time as well. So they have a great broadcast. Eric Collins is yeah. hilarious. Wait a minute, there's the there's the on air strategy. They they make a move for for Lonzo, and then they pair Del Curry with Levar Ball on the on broadcast the, uh, on the telecast. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Sam, can, can we grill you about the Kings? They're an interesting. You yeah, mentioned it. Free. I mean, and obviously you got a lot of intel on them. Barnes, I know, has been linked a bit to Boston, who is another team we should talk about with their massive trade exception. Um, For sure. Bielitsa, who I think, you know, the Warriors have a designated player exception that's over $9 million for Clay Thompson, and he would technically fit into that, and I know they've had interest in him in the past. Now, do they want to spend all that money? That's even more tax money. But, you know, Bagley, another name, I don't know where you're at on him right now. He's probably harder to trade. What's up with Sacramento? Yeah, there's a lot, and, and it's funny. I've, lately, I've had to almost check myself, and, and I'm always trying to be cognizant of like, all right, am I writing and talking too much about the Kings because I live here? And, and I'll be honest, because of COVID, because I'm here all the time. I'm not getting on a plane. I'm not going to the other markets. I do, I do though think that you know they are more relevant than most when it comes to this trade deadline season, and it goes well beyond some of the guys that you even mentioned. Um, I'll get into Barnes in a minute, but. In reality, as much focus as there has been on the Barnes and the Bagleys and guys like that, it might ultimately become the the much, like much less sexy trades like the Hassan Whitesides or the Corey Josephs or even I wonder about Rashawn Holmes. Now Kings fans are gonna you know not be happy to hear that, and I'm not saying I think he's gonna be on the move, but if I'm Monty McNair, Rashawn Holmes is a guy that I gotta listen to calls for. Uh, he's just a good player, and he fits great with them. But the problem is he's up this summer. And feels like a bit of a trap game in terms of, you know, what does his contract ultimately look like? And if the Kings decide to, you know, it's it's a lesser version of the uh, the Lonzo situation. If you want to make Rashawn Holmes, you know, a, an important part of your program, that's in and of itself not probably a bad idea. He's a good player, but at what number? And so they got to figure out that calculus. Uh, Bielitsa, I for sure think is going to be on the move. I don't know where he's going to land. And and he's been getting showcased quite a bit recently. Um, the Barnes one, and I'm kind of, I guess, previewing some of the stuff that I'm going to write this week. You know, it's funny. We in the media, we are sometimes guilty of, you know, taking bites of the apple on, on both sides of a story, if that makes sense. So I write about Harrison and the Celtics and, and how Boston is looking at him very hard and why he makes so much sense for where they're at right now. Well, the one part of my story that was somewhat missing was clarity about how the Kings might see it. And, you know, now 
bear in mind, as you guys know, it is kind of smokescreen season. So that's the disclaimer. But, you know, the intel I'm, I'm getting now is that, you know, they're not nearly as willing to give up Harrison as people might have thought. And that his deal, which is, I think, what is it? I mean, it, it ends at 18 million in a couple yeah, of years. It's rare de-escalator. Yeah. And like their, their concern is that, you know, yes, they are, they are rebuilding and they are, you know, at base value only committed to De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton and everybody else is up for discussion, but they are also not interested in, you know, letting Boston take Harrison for, you know, a trade exception and a bag of chips and then having their fans, you know, tune in even less than they are now. They, they, they kind of want to play that middle ground and, and not bottom out here. So, um, you know, it, it feels like they're going to hold on to Harrison pretty tightly unless somebody blows him away. Sam, I got I got one for you. Let's just let's just grill yep. Sam. Let's let's get everything out of him. You do it. You you were on a panel with our uh, esteemed colleagues David Aldridge and Joe Varden. Well, what was it? A couple of days ago, with when the Lamarcus Aldridge news came out. That is a fancy way of saying it. A yes. panel. I was on my couch and I pumped out a couple I was hundred like, was words Sam in seventeen Sloan minutes. Conference or something. <laughs> hey, you know what? We gotta we gotta dress up the story. Smoke exactly. it up. I like it. Smoke so Sam, it up, Fred. you you sat on your ass and churned out five hundred words about Lamarcus Aldridge the other day. Uh, please subscribe for that. He clearly put tons of thought into it. Uh, I, I want I want to ask you because the Aldridge thing I mean it's kind of another PJ Tucker type situation he's he's they're they're mutually sitting out uh, and and the Spurs are gonna try to move him he makes twenty four million this year uh, I uh, Sl- Slater what what did you call him earlier this year on a podcast you called him Stoic? I didn't call no 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 I didn't call him it Nate Duncan was calling him it. During, the Warriors were playing the Spurs and like Nate, no fun, yeah, Nate, no fun, Duncan. Um, <laughs> no fun. The, Duncan the Warriors, is, is good. the Warriors were playing the Spurs and James Wiseman had like seven dunks in like twenty minutes because he just kept getting completely wide open off Lamarcus Aldridge, like defensive mistakes. But what was he, he shooting said, from the field? He's, <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, very well. Love you, Nate. Um, and Nate was saying Lamarcus Aldridge's defense was calcified. 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 Ah, there we go. That's better than stoic. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total Games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. By the way, Fred, Fred just brought this up for, for a Jakob Pertl reference, who has now really taken his job in San Antonio. But I guess I, your question is, Fred, what's up with Aldridge? My question, my question yes. is more, do you, how do you see that going? Because it's really hard to trade a $24 million salary in season two with matching salaries and all that. 
So how do you see that going? And do you, do you actually see him getting moved? I don't have clarity on where, um, again, you know, just could be smokescreen, could be real, but the, the sense as of this weekend was that his camp, uh, believes that they genuinely have five teams, you know, that, that are options and that a trade was, uh, was how this thing was going to pan out as opposed to a buyout. I'm with you on the skepticism about the money, but I also think that if you go back to, it was not that long ago that, you know, he was still a very productive version of LaMarcus Aldridge before Jakob Pertl ended his Spurs life. (laughs) (laughs) If, If the listeners aren't aware... Fred is number one member of the fan club of Yaku I've, I've really dug into and, it. Uh, the the, the yeah. regular listeners really need to see our Slack, where it's now yes. just me sending screenshots of like the defensive RPM leaders. Well, meanwhile, the contrast between you and I is pretty significant because I'm still figuring out where all the L's go in his <laughs> last name and how to spell his name correctly. So, but you know, you're, you're talking me into it, but yeah, he did. Jakob's play had a lot to do with LaMarcus, you know, getting put into a reserve role. And then LaMarcus, I've always enjoyed his game. He's always struggled. He's one of those guys that he's very accomplished and I get it. Um, but, but he, he's got shades of mellow to me where I wonder if, you know, kind of, uh, transitioning into the older man, uh, kind of complimentary role, if you will, is going to be hard for him. So, you know, I'm curious to see how his next chapter goes, but to your question, you know, the, the Intel was that the trade was going to be how this thing was going to finish. I don't know where, I mean, right out the gate, when this news got out, people around the league, the focus predictably was on the two LA teams. Um, you know, again, I mentioned earlier, it seems like, you know, Brooklyn's kind of all full up at this point. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, this was just me talking, uh, Portland to me is a fascinating one. I mean, again, getting to 24 million makes it less fascinating, but like just he the idea. It seems like such a buyout my, to me. I mean, I know like the posturing, sure. but I mean, maybe right. so, there's teams I'm sure that could cobble together. Like Miami has a decent amount of like little big, big chunk one year contracts, right? Because right. they're like trying to save up for potentially honest. Yeah. You could throw Myers Leonard. I'm sure Pop would love that. Um, right. You'd go and, Myers Leonard uh, and Iguodala or something if you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, Avery Bradley, something like that. But, you know, Iguodala's probably, I mean, I know he's he's aged, but so is Aldridge. Um, he's probably better than as a playoff player than Aldridge right now. Like, that's the thing. Aldridge just really has not been good at all. I mean, it's not just a Jakob Pertle thing. It's a LaMarcus Aldridge thing this year. This is legitimately the first time I've had this thought, so I'm workshopping it. Uh, is there anything potentially with the Spurs and the Hawks uh, around John Collins? Like I'm sitting here thinking that you know you got Tony Snell, I think is at 12 million in terms of making the money work. And I mean the the base question would be: Is there anything in the Spurs camp that that would make Hawks GM Travis Schlenk you know feel okay about about making that move? Atlanta obviously doesn't want to pay John and restricted free agency this summer. You know, and, and and John in general, I could see fitting in well. I mean, we don't know how Pop, how long Pop's going to keep. Probably coaching, get but, more yeah. than you know, what San Antonio is going to give. Like if you're going to put him out there, is that where they're at with Collins? Where they? I mean, I have to imagine you can get better. No, than I'm, I'm mainly asking as far as the Spurs young guys who who might be gettable. You know, I mean, you got to get something young and promising back um, beyond the the money filler. Just right. You, you got to try to get Lonnie Walker in there. that or something. Kelden Johnson, right. they, I assume, yeah. wouldn't Derek, give up. Derek White I think, gets expensive next yeah, year. Yeah. I think that 
Collins, you would get better packages elsewhere for Collins if you put him out there. Would be my guess. You think right? Collins gets moved? Minnesota is. I I do yeah, and I think it's I think the Hawks have have kind of there's been a bit of an uptick in in their conversations lately uh, from what it it sounds like. Um, I mean it, the writing's been on the wall with this thing for a long time, and they've tried to downplay it. But you know you go back to a lot of times, and you guys know this. It's we don't really need to have the GMs tell us the truth about what's happening. The transactions tell the story. So when they go make a trade for Clint Capella last February, I think it was, you know, like that at the time was widely perceived as not only a pretty good move, because even though Clint was hurt, you know, he was a good fit, but potentially kind of insurance on the John Collins front, where as they went into negotiations with John, they now could say, well, you know, you're not the only lob threat in town. And guess what? This guy is, is a lot better than you on the defensive end too. And Clint has played well, still has a couple of years left. Um, and John is a. I keep comparing all these players. He's to me, he's a a better version of like the Rashawn Holmes dynamic that I talked about. Is that it's not that the team doesn't like him. They don't. It's a question of do you like him at at the price that it's going to take. And when you are a Hawks team that is still, you know, sniffing five hundred, has yes they've been hurt, but they're underperforming, and you've already got all this money tied up. You know, you, I don't think it makes any sense to double down and commit to this type of a core at that kind of a price that is, you know, having a hard time getting in the playoffs. Yeah. They're at such a reforming time too, you know, and obviously they've made the coaching change. Also, you know, you worry long, you know, what's up with, you know, is that how long is the lifespan of the front office there? Um, and, does the ownership want the front office making big moves before they decide? I don't know. But yes, if they feel like Collins is going to walk, yeah, you you better not let him walk for nothing. I mean, I know he's restricted, so technically you could sign in a trade or you could match and then plan to trade him later. But I, you know, right. that's not an asset you want walking out the door for nothing, they're, for sure. They're a really interesting trade deadline team, too, because, I mean, look, one of the super interesting subplots of this deadline is is how the play-in tournament is going to change how a lot of teams operate. Because there are a lot of teams in the play-in tournament range who would rather get the 10 spot than get Cade Cunningham. And the Hawks want to make the playoffs. And they're 4-0 since Nate McMillan took over. And what if they go into the deadline and they're just playing great under Nate McMillan and they genuinely feel like something changed, whatever it is, and we're, you know, we're a good team and we think we're going to be able to get seven or eight and maybe make some noise in a first round series. Like they're, they care about making the playoffs. That's why they made all of those moves in the offseason. So that's the hard part. I mean, Slater, you mentioned the, the front office and, and how much pressure is, is on Schlank and his group. Um, the hard part is it's, it's a hell of a twofer to pull off. Hey, go make sure we make the playoffs, but, but don't F up the John Collins situation in the process. You know what I mean? And it's like, Oh, by the way, you mean that guy who's given us, you know, 18 and nine, 18 and eight right now. I mean, the, 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 you know, the idea that they get anything in return that is going to allow them to keep trucking along in terms of being competitive right now. And that John Collins slot is, is pretty unlikely. Can I just say that I think any owner, you're right. That's obviously Atlanta wants to make the playoffs. I think those ownership groups are making a mistake. This is a 
this is a year where like you you know you're not even going to get your normal playoff gate with fans and this is not just the Kate Cunningham sweepstakes this is five guys that all draft experts are saying are legitimate you know number one pick type talents potentially you, and I would be going the other way and that's what makes the deadline interesting too where you're mentioning how does we'll cut to yeah. the chase then Slater so if you're in that spot what do you do about Trey Young because that's all that's that's all that's about it's a fear I think of you know Trey and, and his people looking around and saying, "Man, we didn't make the playoffs again. Are you serious?" And and now he's represented by Clutch. That comes with you know with with a certain level of pressure, I think. And and I think the idea of selling him on you know, hey, this draft is really good. That's a, it's gonna be a yeah, tough. Yeah, but I mean, so is isn't a play in and where you're the ten seed and you lose? Okay, you got one extra game. You lost to whoever, let's say Charlotte or something. Okay. Well, I mean, they they're in eighth right now. They could be in the okay. playoffs. So, Sam, I fine. I mean, you get in to get whacked by whoever. The, the <laughs> Minnesota yeah. situation is, I think, a great example of why I agree with Slater. Which is when you, I'm not saying I don't agree. No, with I know Slater. you're playing. I'm saying, you're tell playing me how advocate. you handle. I mean, no, no, I'm not. He's I, playing I'm ownership. Saying, tell me how uh, GM or you know he's. Yeah, I'm saying how I'm I'm the human component guy. So tell me how you handle the people. Involved in that so situation, so I will, I will, I will say one thing, and then I will tell you how at least I would handle the people in my in my expert sitting on my ass in my home opinion. <laughs> no, this yeah. is a panel, Fred. This it's is a panel. A panel. panel. I I don't really this know. This is what, more of a panel than the one Sam was talking. Yeah, about. this is we we had a <laughs> panel about panels today. That's that's basically what yes. we did. Uh, all right, all fix right. the Hawks. Go so. Minnesota goes and trades for D'Angelo Russell in part because Carl Anthony Towns. It makes Carl Anthony Towns happy that they want to go, that he gets to go and play with his friend who's a former all-star and all of that. Towns at the time had four years left on his deal when they trade for D'Angelo Russell. If if you make a move like three. that everybody kind of agrees at the time is not going to help you help catapult you into some other stratosphere in the conference. There's no point to satisfying short-term happiness when you still feel like the long-term happiness is not going to be satisfied. Meaning Carl Anthony Towns is still going to be unhappy when he's got two years left on his deal because they're still not winning after they make that deal. And the fact that he was happy when he had four years left doesn't really make a difference. So the goal should be make the guy happy Take you take yourself on the best route so the guy can be happy. Whoever that guy who you want to keep is, whoever that great franchise player you have, Towns, Trey, whomever. Set up a route so that he can be happy with two years left on his deal. Because if he's happy with two years left on his deal, you're in an okay position. Uh, I I just yeah. it's his second year in the league. No, that's a great that's a great response, Fred. Honestly, because the D'Angelo deal is is Exhibit A of why. Worrying too much about the human component is, is yeah, not a good idea. It's his idea. second year in the league. If you he, if he's unhappy, he's unhappy because they're not if he's unhappy because they're not winning, then the way you handle the human component is just figure out the best way to win. He also hasn't shown right. enough to be like just completely take a franchise hostage in a sense of like that's that's the problem though with so many of these teams is that I mean, whether he's shown enough or not, um, that's what it is. And it, it takes me back to my DeMarcus Cousins days in Sacramento where it's like, you know, yeah, he's good. And by the way, Fred, third year, I think you called him second year. Right. Um, 
you know, DeMarcus and, and having too much sway in Sacramento and, and it's not, I mean, there's so many examples of this. Yes. The, there's a, probably a whole podcast to be done about Trey and the Hawks. And I mean, there's folks around the league who are just shaking their head. I mean, when they fired Louis Pierce, I got a, a call from what I would just describe as, you know, a former player who knows things really well uh, when it comes to locker room dynamics Spicy. and who's good and who's not. Yeah. Well, no, but like, it was like, wait a minute, why is it Lloyd's fault? Like Trey's not good enough. You know, that was, that was his opinion. And, you know, and, and to, to have that much power was kind of the premise. Um, and so that's a fair question. And let's, let's pivot here. This relates to what you're saying. I think, you know, as we get near the end of the good old trade deadline pod here, we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little more about the Celtics. But the, the thread here is that Fred, to your point, that, calculus of making young talented players you know earning their trust when it comes to the plan and maintaining that impatience and the frustration that comes with not being where you want your team to be is a hard thing to do so here's boston with jalen brown and jason tatum um, on long-term deals contractually they have nothing to worry about with those two guys right like they they've got a, a runway here but there is a pressure going into this deadline because for them it's it's a different thing because they've they're a lot more accomplished than the Hawks and Trey Young, but you know they've had conference finals appearances. They're used to being among the elite in the East, and they I guarantee you Jalen and Jason want Danny Ainge to go out and do something extremely impactful with that trade exception right now. Um, the the thing I think that needle they're trying to thread here is. Like, how do we do that without compromising anything about the long term so that when Jalen and Jason are actually closer to free agency in 2024 and 25, you know, we're in a good spot and we didn't make any moves back in 2021 that ended up kind of, you know, biting us in the back end. Yeah, I mean, that that's that trade exception is going to be super interesting to see how they use it. It's hard to use something like that in season. Like, it's it's just difficult. I don't know. I mean. It comes back to the human component, too. Do you think Boston's in a position to where they should feel comfortable? All right, we make our one move and now we're back to being an Eastern Conference finalist because with the with the way that they played this year. Yeah, if they're you don't think so. I mean, if they if they're healthy and a lot of it falls back on Kemba Walker, to be honest. Yes, but I'm saying if you give me a healthy and Kemba's inconsistency is a problem, but Kemba with Marcus Smart coming back, which is huge uh, just the other night, you know, with Jalen Jason and another guy. Yes. I think that that puts you up there. I mean, with Brooklyn, Brooklyn's a different story. They might've just, just changed the game in terms of, you know, how high the ceiling is in but the East. They look, who's, but at who's the, the same guy? time? Who's the guy? Well, Al Horford. Just that. Well, so the only ones, I mean, I don't see again, this could change by tomorrow, but right now I'm not seeing any of the names that have been attached. I'm not seeing them. I'm going to say likely no on Barnes again, we shall see. Um, they've been tied to Vucevic. I don't see Vucevic moving. Sounds like Orlando's uh, pretty t- committed to Vucevic. Yeah. They, I, that's what I'm hearing for sure. Aaron Gordon's a different story. I don't know, Slater, not to go down a different road, but I did wonder about Gordon and the Warriors, if you saw any interest He's there. at 18 mil, I believe. Um, it was a name in the, Got a couple in years the long off season as you, know, you were kind of searching around. I definitely know that they've, they've talked about, but they've, you know, we could name about a hundred players they've talked about. Right. But to finish the Boston thing, it's like Vucevic, no. Jeremy Grant, which that's so strange to me that okay, they they like him, but I just do not see 
you know, your guy's old buddy Troy Weaver. No, that was like his big, big win of right. the offseason is Jeremy Grant. Right. Yeah. And he's playing well and he's part of what they're doing. So I, I don't see that happening. So um, maybe it's nothing. Maybe it'll become the latest, you know, kind of Danny Ainge. We got so close. I like, I, those, like, uh, I like the Horford fit for them. I do like that. Oh I don't think it's happening. That feels stale. I don't know. That feels like. A lot, a of, lot of money fits though. into the trade exception. I don't think it's happening. No. You also have yeah. to find the thund- a way. The Thunder would probably just punt him over yeah. there and take like a protected second yeah. rounder by, or something. By the way, uh, something that you can't be ignored when you have these conversations about using that exception, and there are ways for them to get out of it, but you know they're they're like fourteen million short of the tax or something like that, fifteen million short of the tax. It's not like they're just going to take in a, a twenty-five million dollar salary for nothing, and you. They have to. I think they have to move. Yeah, 9 you can million. use you can use Tristan Thompson yeah. uh, and throw in you know somebody else, and and you can get under. But there there's got to be some sort of corresponding move or, or something going back, uh, because presumably when you're that short of the tax, you don't want to waste waste the tax season on that, and all of a sudden get the repeater. Well, and there's a, there's a timeline here too because it'll expire. I I don't think they have clarity on the date, or at least I don't. But it's you know before next season. Yeah, they've, but they've I mean a, it's similar to what the Warriors had when when they used it on Ubre, the Iguodala one on Ubre. It's a as Fred said, that's better. It's really a, a more um, I guess mobile like tool weapon to use in the off season when when players are flying around, you know, salaries, all this. Like the Warriors had way more, you know, it was way more options in the off season, and the way Ainge operates. My guess is he'll probably wait to use that weapon when you can really kind of change stuff and change your team around. But maybe not. Maybe there's pressure now. I don't know. All right. Before we go, uh, top of your minds, uh, one name that we did not discuss. Go ahead, Slater. Well, I wanted to make Fred give us a Wizards Bradley Beal update. I assume it's not available <laughs> at all. We haven't even. I mean, he was supposed to be the big name, right? And we were getting towards the trade yeah. deadline. And he. This is the first time we said his name on the whole podcast. Fred, we'll just cut in audio of everything you said every other yeah. time. It's the well, same just, story, right? It's the same figured, story. Yeah. It's the same story. Yeah. They, they are not engaging. Yeah. It's real, too. Yeah, it's real. Yeah. That's why I've been yeah. saying it from the beginning. I felt like, <laughs> a, like I felt like a jerk coming real. on the podcast the first time we talked about this early yeah. in the year, and you guys are asking me, so let's talk about Bradley Beal trades. They're 0-5, and I'm like, Can I, ask I don't you? think it's happening. What if they kept really, really stinky? You know, like, I think part of the reason why he's, like, super not even in discussions now is because, like, they've had a nice little month and a half. What if they hadn't? I mean, do you feel like that saved Bradley Beal in Washington or no? Not at this deadline. I okay. I didn't. I mean, look, I. I, I can't I can't tell the future. So like things could change this offseason. I'm not saying they won't change in the offseason. But my impression the whole time from talking to people, in including Brad, by the way, I mean I had quotes from Brad in a story that I wrote with Jason Quick a, a week and a half ago where we talked about Bradley Beal and and uh and Damian Lillard's relationship and kind of an ongoing conversation that they've been having about about loyalty and and about how they both kind of believe that sticking it out with the franchise that drafted you is is really important to them and enhances you from a legacy perspective and uh you know I just never got the impression from anybody there I never got the impression the Wizards were ever willing to listen to anybody who was calling I never got the impression that Brad was you know just a you know a, a toenail away from taking the step to saying I want to I want out, trade me. Uh, I think he cares a lot about the power and the authority that the organization has given him. 
he cares a lot about kind of being the guy in the franchise. And I think he knows that if he goes and joins up with another star, wherever else that might be and whoever that star might be, I think he knows that there's a pretty good chance he won't have that kind of authority within whichever organization that is. And that's something he really values. So, uh, and he likes DC. I I don't think he's unhappy. I, I, I really don't. So he, he hasn't asked out. I don't think it's happening in the next week and a half. So I played I played host and made Fred give us a player. Now I'm going to Sam. Denver, Michael Porter Jr., their situation. Jokic is playing like an MVP. Do they finally make their big swing or are they just easing into the I, deadline? It could they they could be, you know, playing possum, but I don't see it happening as of now. We got time, you know what yeah. I mean? We got two weeks. Uh is it two weeks? Twenty They're playing better. We got eleven days. They're playing better. Somewhere. 11 days as of this recording. They're playing better. They do, you know, the Michael Porter Jr. dynamic remains the same. Um, you know, a certain level of loyalty, I think, in the front office to try to see that situation out, you know, <laughs> mixed within occasional uh, upticks and frustration from Michael Malone and the coaching staff, you know, that have obviously been trying to pull the best out of him for quite some time now. But, I wrote like a month ago about some of the locker room dynamics that I think matter a lot in a positive way about how Jokic has been willing to put Porter Jr., you know, kind of put his arm around him and bring him along. Jamal Murray's playing better recently, so less pressure on them because of that. You know, Will Barton's an interesting one with them because it seemed like for a minute – you know, he wasn't playing in, a, in some of the fourth quarters. Um, and, and I started hearing a few things about how he was maybe getting frustrated. The next thing you know, he's playing really well and seems to be in a, a good place. So I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, you know, they, they would love to have, I think, a 3-4 defender who can switch and help them on the defensive end. That, that defense has taken a backslide this season. And then beyond that, I mean, that's gettable. I don't know who that is. Although, again, I don't think it's going to be P.J. Tucker. They From there, it's like... The Michael Porter Jr. thing only happens if you're if it involves. I mean, you're talking about a a really big name player, and I don't see that guy's not out there right now. If Beal's not available, I think that might be the only guy that we'd even be talking about. So, I don't see that happening. Um, but I do think you know that they've got some pressure, uh, especially with you know what they accomplished last year. So I'm curious to see what they do. All right, my, the last thing I'll say, and you guys can add another one because I kind of made you force you into your teams. Um, Who do you think the Lakers get on the buyout market? They, to me, just seem like they'll sit there and wait. They don't really have picks to to dangle and and they're such a guarantee basically almost on the buyout. Drummond. Yeah, Drummond was what I was going to say. It seems like. That's a name we haven't talked much about either too, Drummond. We haven't talked about Drummond. We haven't talked about, uh, and I'm forgetting the the guy's name, but the NFL whiteout who reported that Drummond was going to Brooklyn. That, you know, I thought that. Yes, I did. Who yeah. did? Who, who was that? Uh, I I stopped following football cold turkey five years ago. So okay, give All me right, a second. So it was a bear. Okay. It was a bear. Okay, give me a second. It was a bear. You guys, you know, Sam or Fred, give the drum and take while I, I find which. I don't think. I mean, I'd be shocked if Drummond got traded. I just don't think. I mean, we talked about yeah, the I think difficulties be... of matching 24 for Aldridge. It's it's 28 for Drummond, and he basically went for you know what was it, just like a second-round pick last year, and that was it. And I just don't see a scenario where where a Drummond trade makes sense anywhere. So I think a buyout's coming. 
Yes, I would tend to agree. You know, the Cavs have tried to push back against that Fantastic idea, but that's what you do. Tweet, by the way, Allen Robinson, who himself is like, I believe at the time an NFL free agent. I think the Chicago oh, former, Bears, former Frank, Jaguar, maybe. Yes, possibly? yes, yes. Former, go. former Jaguar. Yep. Um, who's like a big like? I'm a fan of the Miami Dolphins, and they were like maybe going after Allen Robinson in free agency this year. And he tweets. And this is great. Great tweet. Per sources, Andre Drummond will be signing with the Nets. They got some reinfo- or they get some reinforcement on the defensive end and the glass. Look for them to still be active around the trade <laughs> deadline. LOL. That's what he said. That, that is a great tweet. It is. That sounds like it could have been from Joe Varden. <laughs> yes. Um, I would love it if Joe Varden. I was going to say, I would love it if Joe Varden ended every one of his reports with LMAO. Yeah. LOL. ROFL. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lakers uh, Lakers want a big uh, on that panel that I was on the other day I had a passing comment about how the, the Lakers you know and, and somewhat disappointed I mean this, this stuff is common sense like Marcus All has not played as well as they hoped and so they um, they appear to be out there looking for bigs um, one that I don't know you know trade wise buyout wise I don't know how it, it unfolds, but you know, Slater, what about your old buddy JaVale McGee, uh, you know, getting back in a, a Lakers uniform? Yeah. I mean, um, if he, he, the weird thing about JaVale is like he was played off the floor in the playoffs, right? Which has been a common theme with him back to his Warriors days. So the Lakers know what they've got in him and like, no, like Vogel has been hesitant you know even though he was a starter during the regular season by the end of the playoffs he was dnp basically every game um but he's an option i mean to me Dr- drummond's a more appealing potentially more impactful name for them oh for sure but yeah but he's has, going to brooklyn that, because yes, that's because alan, alan yeah. robinson has declared <laughs> it um yeah, maybe with, with javel i mean it gives them the javel thing makes me laugh because it the javel thing reminds me a little bit you know how with coaches we always talk about that again, the human dynamic of how teams, you know, they fire the the coach that uh, that is too tough on the players, and they inevitably hire the player friendly coach the next time around. That kind of teeter totter uh, transactionally, where where pro sports organizations, you know, tend to just go the other way whenever one style doesn't work. So even though the Lakers do know the Javale experience, and there was good and there was bad, and and in the playoffs, you know, it wasn't great. Uh, it, it feels like a little bit of that with Marcus All, where it's like, okay, Mark was one thing. We thought that would check boxes that somebody like JaVale didn't check. And uh, and let's try to just get length and athleticism and rim protection and somebody who can run the floor again. I mean, there's another old Lakers friend who kind of checks the length and athleticism box. Who, Pau Gasol? <laughs> How uh, really I wanted mean, to play there. This I year. mean, there's there's Dwight. The, there the is, Sixers, yeah, no, the I mean, and aren't gonna do that though, right? I mean, like he's yeah, he's a part of their rotation, he's part of their yeah. program. He's been he's not Dwight's not coming back for them. He's been solid, and they I think they miss him. I think that's uh, they do miss you know, him. That's but part Philly's like thank yeah. you. You know what I mean? Like he's he, I like him as an MB back. I still want to know. I still don't that he's probably going to start that. Oh, that's a good point with Embiid yeah. out. Yeah, I Go don't know. Though. No, I just still I, my first reaction um, uh, laughing at it was just I still I, I want the oral history on what happened with Dwight's free agency announcement because I still we don't had a great understand what the hell way, happened way there. back in the day. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, because it looked like he was going back oh, to the it Lakers. Certainly and did. It wasn't. It did. Yes. 
All right, guys, anything else you want to throw in here at the uh, the, the overtime session? No more Bradley Beal. I will, I will not ask Fred about that again. You know, it's amazing having right. a beat when uh, people just consume drama so much and all you get to report is, I'm sorry, I know you want drama, but there's just nothing. <laughs> but these wizards are trudging along. What what seed are they, by the way? I mean, I know we're talking. They're probably going to play a game they're, or two before this. They're so. uh, they're not a seed. They're number twelve. They they That's don't a seed. That's a seed. <laughs> they don't qualify for a seed. <laughs> the East standings, by the way, they're not uh, not invited to the bubble. Yowza. The how many teams in the East are now over five hundred? I know it was three at one point. Let me look. It's too hard. As to of now. us speaking, it is four now. No five, six. Oh wow. Charlotte's up to 1918 as we were talking. Charlotte's balling. Charlotte is fun as hell. They are balling. You see what he did there? Yeah, there that was not intentional. Uh, they are so <laughs> fun. Lamelo is so fun, and Gordon Hayward's having a hell of a year. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He Rose is making that too. money. They just got to do what I said. Do Lonzo? Do Lavar on the Rose on the game winners? Talk about how Lonzo's better yeah, than Eric, Steph. Eric Collins is going to have horrific laryngitis by the end of the season if this keeps up. <laughs> all right gentlemen appreciate you we will probably do some version of this again next week uh thanks for coming on have a good week see you